Hello, I'm William Henry. And I'm Sylvia Penny, and I shall be reading some of the scripture references. And I am Michael Penny. Now, we finished our last podcast at the point where Jesus had been buried in Joseph's tomb. That tomb was sealed and a guard placed there to stop the disciples stealing the body. So uh, I suppose the Jewish leaders must have thought that this really was the end and that they'd finally got rid of that troublemaker. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. But the disciples also thought this was the end, the end of all their hopes and dreams. Yeah, so we find the women coming to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. That's in Luke 24, verse 1. Yeah, and what happened next is slightly confusing. At least I find it confusing. It's hard to follow the exact sequence of events. It does seem strange that the woman don't seem to have thought about the problem of the stone until they were on their way to the tomb. Mark 16.3 says they discussed who would roll away the stone for them. Maybe they thought the guards would do it for them. Oh, yeah, right. I can just see the guards doing that, don't you think? (laughs) No, not really. But when they got there, the stone had already been rolled away. It's Matthew's gospel that gives us the most details. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That's in Matthew 28, verses 2 to 4. And all this presumably happened before the women got there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mark sixteen four says that when the women arrived... They looked up and saw that the stone had already been rolled away. And Luke says they went there and as they went into the tomb, they found the body had gone. The Lord had already risen, presumably around the time that the angel came or just before, perhaps. Yeah. You know, Mike, I find it really quite kind of tantalizing and a bit frustrating as well that there's no actual description of the Lord's moment of resurrection I think that any writer of a fictitious account, a story writer, would Mm -hmm. never have been able to resist the temptation to include that in the detail. There's no suggestion in any of the Gospels that the angel, for example, moved the stone so that the Lord could come out. Well, if you remember, in his resurrection body, he could appear in locked rooms and disappear from them again. So I don't think he would have any difficulty in leaving a sealed tomb. You know, some people have suggested that the stone was rolled away for the benefit of the people so they could see in and know that Jesus was not there. Okay, but but what about the angel, or maybe I should say angels? Luke says that as the woman stood there, two men in gleaming clothes appeared beside them. Matthew Mm -hmm. talks about one angel. Mark also has one angel, but he's sitting inside the tomb on the right side. John has got two angels inside the tomb, one one of them sitting at the head, another at the feet of the place where the body of Jesus had been. So how many angels? One, two, five? (laughs) Five? Hold on a minute, Will. I, I think you must remember how terrifying the situation must have been for those women. It's no wonder the events they reported were confused. 
I suspect there were just two angels, but uh, Matthew and Mark probably focus on the one who spoke to the women. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And also the, the message they received from the angels was so absolutely amazing and outside of their experience that I guess it must have been hard for them to get their heads around what was actually happening. Oh, that's true. That's right. It would have been hard for me to get things straight into my head. What about you, Will? Oh, gosh, I don't know how I would have coped with it. No, no. Anyway, the important thing is that the message the angels gave is consistent across all four Gospels. This is uh, what they say, for instance, in Luke chapter 24, verses 5 to 8. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. I always think that there's a great authenticity to the accounts of the Lord's resurrection. I mean, any sceptic, first of all, might say that they'd gone to the wrong tomb. But these women had been there on the Friday when the Lord was buried. Yeah, that's true. And Luke uh, 23, verse 55 says that they followed Joseph to the tomb and saw both the tomb itself and how the body was laid in it. And in Mark 16, verse 6, the angel says to them, see the place where they laid him. They knew the spot. They knew the place. So there was no way that they went to the wrong tomb. Right. And the other thing is that if you were writing a fictitious story, there is no way you would have had the angels appearing first to women. Women in that society were deemed unreliable and their word their word wasn't didn't even count in the law court. It would take away from the credibility of your story if you had him appearing to women first. Yeah, and then the disciples didn't believe them, did they? No, the disciples didn't believe the women. But it wasn't only the angels that appeared to the women. The risen Lord also appeared first to these women before he appeared to any of the disciples. Yeah, I think your comment about authenticity is really important. The fact of the resurrection is absolutely essential to our faith. In fact, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we have nothing. Listen to what Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 4 to 19. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Oh, absolutely. If Christ has not been raised, there is no point at all in the Christian faith. But Paul's not finished there. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. That's it, isn't it? He is the first fruits, kind of early crop, which is a, a foretaste or a pledge, maybe, of the full harvest. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm not quite following you, Will. What do you mean there? Well... Uh, it means that the fact that Christ is raised is a guarantee that we also will be raised. He's the first crop of the harvest, and we are the rest of the harvest. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Okay, so let's get back to Luke. What about the Lord's other appearances after the resurrection? Um, 
Who did he appear to and when did he appear to them? Well, as with the angels, it's it's kind of difficult to fit them all together and work out the exact order of in which they came. Okay. So let's go back to the Lord's appearances to the women first of all. Um, Mark 16 verse 9 says that the risen Jesus, the risen Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And John 20 recounts that meeting with Mary Magdalene in detail. Then Matthew 28 records Jesus meeting all the women who went to the tomb. Luke doesn't mention any appearances by Jesus to the women. He just says in chapter 24, verses 9 and 11, the following. When they, the women, came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Yeah, it's not really surprising, is it? that it seemed like nonsense, but it shows the extent to which the resurrection was unexpected for the disciples. There's absolutely no chance of the resurrection being the disciples just wishful thinking, as some people have suggested. No chance at all. Yeah, you're right there. The whole idea had never entered their heads. But um, let's go back a little earlier to when the women first went to the tomb and saw it was empty. They ran to the disciples and said the body of Jesus had been taken away. So what did the disciples do then? Well, the first disciple to be mentioned in Luke is Peter. But John gives a little more detail about this incident. John says that he went with Peter to the tomb, both of them running. But John ran faster than Peter and he got there first. And he saw the strips of linen lying there. John didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus's head. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And that's in John 20, verses 6 to 9. John says he saw and believed. Believed what, do you think? Well, he believed what the woman had said, that the body had been taken. Well, no, surely not. Surely he believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. I, I, don't, I don't think so, because it says that they still did not understand that the scripture had said that Jesus was going to rise. Yeah, but the fact that the body was gone wasn't something to be believed. It, it was patently obvious what had happened. Well, yes, but up to this point, no one had seen the risen Lord, not Mary, nor the other women, and certainly not any of the disciples had seen the risen Jesus. Yeah, I suppose that's mm. true. But then we know that the Lord did appear to Mary and then to the other women. They ran to tell the disciples, but <laughs> as you can expect, the disciples didn't believe the women. But Peter wanted to investigate. So uh, Luke says this in 24, verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. But kind of inconclusive then, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, Peter was probably um, also confused. Yeah, but after that, this is where it gets tricky to sort out the order of events. The first thing Luke describes 
is the two disciples on the walk to Emmaus. It's a really poignant sort of incident, this, and this is how Luke introduces the incident. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And that's in Luke 24, verses 13 to 14. Okay, so so this is the same day as the resurrection. So who were these people? Well, we know from uh, verse 18 that one of them was called Cleopas. So not two of the 11 disciples then? No, no. But interestingly, um, John 19.25 describes the crucifixion. And he says that one of the women standing near the cross was Mary, the wife of Clopas. So that's probably the same same man, I think. And some commentators have suggested that the two people on the road were Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas going home to Emmaus. Well, maybe that's an interesting possibility, but no doubt they were having a pretty depressing conversation about all the recent events. Yeah, yeah, they were. But then they were joined by someone else. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. That's in Luke 24, verse 15. So how were they kept from recognising him? Oh, who knows? Uh, Maybe God just stopped them from knowing who their companion was. I mean, just as he prevented the disciples fully understanding some of what Jesus said, and we've discussed that in earlier podcasts in this series. Yeah, or maybe it was just getting late in the day and getting dark, and maybe his face was hidden. But it was all—it was all so unexpected. You don't expect your companion striding out along the road beside you to be the person you'd seen killed a few days before. Fair enough. Yeah. He played them he played them along a bit, didn't he? Mm. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. And that's in Luke twenty four, oh. seventeen to nineteen. It's obvious that everyone in Jerusalem was talking about Jesus' execution. Luke already said in uh, chapter 23, verse 48, that the people who had gathered to witness the crucifixion went away beating their breasts. So everyone realized that this was not the usual, ordinary crucifixion. But the disciples were totally devastated by what had happened. Their faces were really glum or downcast, as Luke puts it. Yeah, and the explanation of the events that these two gave to the strangers allows us to see what they had thought of Jesus and also their new situation. So what things were they talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's in Luke 24, verses 19 to 20. That's, that's a wee bit limited, isn't it, Mike? They saw him as a prophet, powerful, and all the rest. But that's a far cry from what Peter said, isn't it? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Yeah, but they also said that they had hoped that he was going to be the promised deliverer. That is the Christ, the Messiah. Yes, but they they keep speaking in the past tense, don't they? We saw him as a prophet. We had hoped that he was the redeemer. They do go on and talk about the rumours of the resurrection, though. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And that's in Luke 24, verses 22 to 24. It sounds as if they still didn't believe the women. They kind of dismissed the resurrection claim by saying, well, we didn't see him. These two disciples must have been two men then, I think. Or if one of them was Mary, Cleopas' wife, she may have been more positive about what the women had said. Well, maybe, but Jesus put the two of them right. This is what he said to them. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And that's in Luke 24, verses 25 to 27. Yeah, it sounds quite a harsh reply, isn't it? But the translation that we've got, how foolish you are, is probably a bit strong. I think it was much more affectionate. It was more like, you know, you silly people or things like something like that. Yeah, but well, what prophecies was the Lord thinking of? And and what about Moses? What did he have to say about this? Well, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses says this. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And was that speaking about Jesus? Well, there were a lot of prophets that the Lord raised up for the people. I suppose Samuel is is one of the most obvious ones. But I think ultimately it does speak of Jesus. But what other prophets spoke about him? Well, there are a lot of prophets who predicted the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. But I guess one of the greatest prophecies was in Isaiah chapter 53. There we read about the one we call the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 verses 5 to 6 says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then shortly before his arrest, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he said this to them. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And that's a quotation from Isaiah 53. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And that's in Luke 22, verse 37. Yes, it's a tremendous chapter, Isaiah 53, you know. And the Open Bible Trust has published an excellent booklet entitled Isaiah 53, Who is the Suffering Servant? And it was written by Frederick Alfred Aston. It's well worth a read, you know. Yeah, um, we find Christ in all the scriptures, don't we? But no wonder, because he is the head over everything, as Ephesians says about him. True. You know, and I would really have loved to have been there 
and heard that exposition of Christ in all the scriptures that Jesus gave to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It must have been, well, awesome. Yeah, it was. See what the two of them had said about it when they thought about it. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's in Luke 24, verse 32. So when they got to the outskirts of Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he was going to walk on a bit further, but they persuaded him to stay with them because the day was nearly over. That's true, but then something extraordinary happened. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. And that's in Luke 24, verses 30 to 31. Why do you think they suddenly recognised him when they hadn't known him earlier on? Oh, gosh, that's hard to say. Maybe it was kept from them. You know, some things were kept from the disciples. I think we've mentioned that in earlier podcasts as well. Well, it could be. It could be. But then Luke just says their eyes were opened. So at that point, the Lord just revealed himself. Maybe it was something about the way he broke the bread with nail prints in his hands, perhaps. Oh, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or maybe it was a special grace that he always said before a meal. But um, we, we don't really know. But they definitely recognized him at that point. And then, all of a sudden, he was gone. And they didn't hang about in Emmaus, did they? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. That's in Luke 24, verses 33 to 35. Hmm. Typical, typical, isn't it? They hadn't believed the women, but they believed Simon Peter. Yeah, but... But which appearance was it to Simon? Do we read anywhere else of the details of when Jesus appeared to Simon Peter alone? No, no, we don't. Not in any of the Gospels. But Paul does refer to it in 1 Corinthians 15, but we don't read of it anywhere else. So then, how can we piece together the Lord's different post-resurrection appearances from the different Gospels? Can we do that? Well, <clears throat> it's quite difficult. In Luke 24, as we have seen, the two disciples went back from Emmaus to Jerusalem and discovered that the disciples and those with them were now convinced of the Lord's resurrection because Jesus had appeared to Simon Peter. But then, immediately, suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. It's in Luke 24 verses 37 to 39. So this showed that Jesus's resurrection body was real. It was physical. He had a resurrection body. He was not just a disembodied ghost floating around. And in fact, he went on to eat some fish with them. Okay, but, but Thomas was not present at that meeting. But then in John 20, we read of a second meeting a week later where Thomas was present. 
Yeah, yeah. I think probably the meeting described in Luke is the first of the two meetings in John, though Luke doesn't say anything about Thomas not being there, but obviously he wasn't there. I see how Luke, see how in Luke, Jesus invites them to touch me and see. But for a whole week, Thomas vehemently refused to believe the testimony of the other disciples. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And that's in John 20, verse 25. Oh, so it could be that the disciples mentioned to Thomas Jesus' invitation to touch him and that provoked that response from Thomas. Yeah, but these meetings were in Jerusalem. And in Matthew 28, verse 7, when the angel spoke to the women, he said this. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Yep. John recalls Jesus meeting some of them by the Sea of Galilee and cooking breakfast for them. And then in verse 16 of Matthew 28, we read that the eleven went to a mountain in Galilee where Jesus had told them to go. And there he gave them what is usually called the Great Commission. That not at the time of the Ascension? No, the Ascension was from the Mount of Olives. And we read that in Luke's Gospel, in Luke's, not Gospel, Luke's second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 1, at which point they were told to stay in Jerusalem where they would receive power from the Holy Spirit. You know, it's really confusing, all these different appearings. <laughs> Look, there's no doubt that the Lord appeared many times to the disciples and his own family too after the resurrection. We are not told about all the meetings. In Acts 1.3, it says the following. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Yes, and Paul also talks about some of his appearances after the resurrection. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 to 8. After his resurrection, he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and last of all, he appeared to me also. 500 at once. Wow. Yeah, so there can be no reasonable doubt about the truth of Christ's resurrection. That's right. And then there was the great commission that the Lord gave the disciples around the time he ascended into heaven. Yeah, Matthew, Mark and Luke all describe the Lord's commissioning of the disciples before the ascension. And Luke also gives more information in the opening chapter of Acts. But the commissioning seems to come in different settings, doesn't it? Matthew 28, which you mentioned earlier, says it was on a mountain, whereas Mark and Luke put it at a meeting over a meal in a house. Oh, you know, I think it's likely that Jesus repeated that commission more than once. Let's see what Luke says. It uh, is recorded first when the two disciples returned to Jerusalem from Emmaus and Jesus appeared to them there. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. 
and then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that's in Luke 24, verses 44 to 46. Yeah, that sounds exactly like what he said to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Yeah, it does. But then he goes on with his commissioning instructions. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And that's in Luke 24, verses 47 to 49. So they were to go out into the whole world and to preach the gospel to everyone without distinction. Yeah, but uh, hold on a bit. In Acts chapter 2, we read of the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, just as Jesus had predicted in Luke 24. But there their preaching concentrated solely on Jews. And that continued in the early chapters of Acts. If we look at those opening chapters of Acts, it's clear that Peter was addressing Jews only. The main focus was on the people of Israel. Yeah, that's right. It's only as Acts progresses that Gentiles are approached with the message of the gospel. But, well, anyway, getting back to Luke, having delivered the commission to the disciples, probably on more than one occasion, the Lord was taken up to heaven. And this is how Luke describes the scene. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And that's in Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. But if you look at the opening chapters of Acts, which was also written by Luke, of course, we get a postscript to the ascension. The disciples stood there gazing with their mouths open as the Lord left them and went up into a cloud. And then this happens. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And that's in Acts 1, verses 10 to 12. So there you've got the promise from these two angels that the Lord will return to the Mount of Olives where he left them. And that's exactly what Zechariah says in chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, and with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. And that's, I guess, what we're looking for too, isn't it? That's mm. our hope, 2,000 years after these events happened. Yep, we certainly are looking forward to his return. Anyway, we have now come to the end of Luke's Gospel. And what a climax, isn't it? The ascension mm. of the Lord back to glory. Yes, it is. Anyway, we hope that you enjoyed these conversations looking into Luke. We hope you have found them helpful in exploring some of the main ideas of Luke's Gospel. We'd like to thank you for listening, and please do let your friends know about this series. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.